Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn how GPS clocks work from the engineer who made GPS clocks in the first place, Hugo Fruhoff. But first, you'll learn about how researchers finally figured out why stress can turn your hair gray. Let's satisfy some curiosity. We've known for a long time that stress can make your hair go gray or white. Think Barack Obama, George W. Bush, or Rogue from X-Men. Though strictly speaking, stress is not what turned Rogue's hair white. Depending on if you're referring to the comics or the movies, you know what, I'm not going to get into it. (laughs) Look, man, I saw the movies. It seemed like a very stressful situation she was in. Okay, that's fair. I guess if you're (laughs) absorbing Magneto's powers... Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's fair. (laughs) But for a long time, scientists didn't have any idea why stress turned your hair gray. Well, a huge team of researchers led by Harvard University has just figured it out. And it involves our old friend, the fight or flight response. The researchers' first job was to figure out which body system is responsible for translating stressful situations into gray hair. Their first thought was that the immune system might be attacking itself. So they got their hands on some mice without immune cells and put them under stress. When those mice turned gray, the researchers knew that wasn't the cause. Then they turned to the infamous stress hormone cortisol. They removed the adrenal glands from a new batch of mice and subjected them to stress. Again, they went gray. Then they turned to the sympathetic nervous system. It seemed like a good candidate because it contains a huge network of neurons that reach into every hair follicle in the body. After more tests on more mice, the researchers finally had their culprit. So here's what happens. A hair follicle contains specialized stem cells. Stem cells are a kind of cell that can turn into any number of different cell types. So when a hair is growing, some of those stem cells convert into cells that produce melanin, which is a pigment responsible for hair color. Some people's nervous systems respond to incredibly stressful situations by releasing huge amounts of the neurotransmitter norepinephrine. That norepinephrine tells all of those all-purpose stem cells to specialize into pigment-producing cells and then migrate away from where they're needed. The follicles keep growing new hairs, but the supply of pigment-producing cells have dried up, so the new hairs are white or gray. It's like using all of your sunscreen on the first day of a tropical vacation. Now you're definitely going to turn a color you don't want, you know? This is just another bullet on the long list of ways that stress affects the body. Hopefully, the new insights from this study will help scientists develop new therapies and tactics to ease the physical toll of stress and maybe save some presidential hairdos in the process. So you've got like a finite number of stem cells that can actually produce pigment and this norepinephrine activates them all really quickly. So you use them all up and then you're just kind of out. Right. Because if you think about it, the whole reason you go gray when you get older is because your pigment producing cells have dried up. This just makes them dry up faster. Got it. No good. No good. If you look at your cell phone right now, chances are you can tell me what time it is with astonishing accuracy. And phones and devices all around the world are synced up to within a fraction of a second, thanks to the innovation we call GPS, the Global Positioning System. And part of that is thanks to the fact that Hugo Fruhoff developed a highly accurate, miniaturized atomic clock, which became a foundational component of GPS. And Hugo himself is going to explain to you how GPS clocks work. But first, here's Hugo on what an atomic clock even is. What's an atomic clock? Well, I like to describe it as uh, your grandfather clock on the wall had this pendulum. The pendulum kind of stabilizes how accurate the clock is. The longer the pendulum, the more accurate 
Then we went to wristwatches that had what we call quartz watches. It was had a little quartz oscillator, which is a little disc. And you excite that and it vibrates at maybe 30,000 times a second. And you count the, the vibrations and you say, okay, this is a second, this next second, the next second. So so that's what you used to have on your wrist and you still do. The atomic clock now uh, goes beyond that and it, the pendulum now becomes uh, electrons. And so you build something that excites electrons to to flip its magnetic dipole and so that flipping back and forth which might be you know over simplistic but the pendulum then becomes the movement of the electron back and forth from from its magnetic dipole and uh, and that then produces uh, accuracies of you know better than a billionth of a second at time accuracy Okay, so like Hugo said, that's a bit of a simplification, but hopefully it gives you a good idea of why atomic clocks are so accurate. Atomic clocks also used to be really big and really expensive, so it was a big deal figuring out how to make those clocks small enough to launch into space, let alone get them to work properly while being exposed to heavy radiation. But obviously, Hugo and his colleagues eventually got everything working right. So let's get into how GPS clocks work. Hugo told us to imagine you're flying three kites at the same time. You pull those strings tight, and there's no slack. Those kites are stuck in the same place, so you can't really move around because there's no more slack on the strings. Now pretend those kites are GPS satellites, and they're sending you signals. Now you got signals over there illuminating the globe, and you got... People always say surface of the Earth. Of course, GPS is not surface of the Earth only. It's all the way up to, you know, tens of thousands of miles, as long as you're below the orbit of the GPS. So now uh, let's let's make this simple. I'm going to transmit an, a, a signal from the satellite, and you're going to receive it. And the satellite has a perfect clock, and you have a perfect clock. Okay, so now the signal comes down, and the signal that you're getting is slightly slower than the one that's in your receiver, right? Because it has to have travel from 12,000 miles back down to your receiver. Now, that travel distance that you're receiving from that signal is moving at the speed of light. In other words, your cell phone signal is moving at the speed of light. Everything is moving basically plus or minus something at the speed of light. Your radio, FM radio, is traveling at the speed of light almost and stuff. Things from space especially so now, how do you measure the speed of light? Well, the speed of light is about uh, one foot every three billionth of a second. Now, you can see right away, you're going to have to have a clock that really does some fancy stuff because one foot air is roughly a three billionth of a second. And how, what are you going to how what are you going to get to measure this thing? So that's where atomic clock comes in. So now you're measuring the time delay between the satellite and your receiver, and uh, you you do this simultaneously with minimum of four satellites, and guess what comes out? Your exact location plus exact time. And so the big innovation was that you didn't have to have an atomic clock in your receiver at, at the cost of about uh, $12,000. So the satellite clocks, of course, are, you know cost millions, but if you had a satellite clock on the ground, then you could navigate perfectly with three satellites. However, since you don't want to spend $13,000 for a clock, you want to spend $2, then basically uh, you have to go towards very, very accurate atomic clocks. And if you take four of those signals, one gives you X, one gives you Y, one gives you Z, meaning longitude, latitude, altitude, and the fourth one that's left over 
gives you exact time, and that's the that's how you get time when you turn on your GPS. It's actually, you don't have an atomic oscillator. You're sitting there looking at all the satellites and extracting perfect time. So now your clock in your receiver is almost as good as the one in the satellite. You heard that right. These clocks sync up to within a billionth of a second. Sounds simple, right? Just have a few satellites with atomic clocks triangulate your latitude, longitude, and altitude and call it a day? Well, here's Hugo with why it wasn't quite that easy. Now, you got a dozen error sources, right? You got the, the delay through the ionosphere. You got all kinds of things. The orbit has to be perfect. It has to be perfectly a circle because if you don't get a perfect circle, an egg-shaped orbit, then you start speeding up the satellite in one place and lowering the other side, and you get into Einstein's theory of relativity problem, which we, by the way, have to do with GPS. When that signal comes down, it, uh, it applies to brilliant Einstein's general theory of relativity, where he says that clocks run differently as they, they, they move away from a gravitational field. So therefore, if, we're in a t- if you have a good enough clock that would notice that, then, then as you're moving towards our orbit, you are, will have to compensate for uh, his relativity theory by the fact that uh, you're moving away from a, a gravitational field, and so therefore your clock runs different in orbit than the one that you have on the ground. As a matter of fact, the number is so small that, uh, you know, you just, uh, it's kind of mind-blowing, but basically the system, one of the satellite systems runs at, uh, at a frequency of 10 point two, three megahertz. Well, in order to make the clock on the ground look exactly like the clock in space, because you don't want to have that air to deal with, you got, you have to slow down the clock in space by 10.229999994330 megahertz. <laughs> no charge. Again, Hugo Fruhoff is one of the inventors of GPS. And if you use your phone as an alarm clock, then he's pretty much the guy you can thank for getting to work on time every day. Hugo was one of four pioneers who received the Queen Elizabeth Prize for Engineering in December, which is the world's most prestigious engineering accolade. We have links to learn more about Hugo and the prize in today's show notes. And next week, Hugo will be back one more time to talk about the lasting legacy of GPS. So let's recap what we learned today. Well, Harvard scientists finally figured out the scientific reason why hair turns gray. And it has to do with stem cells basically using up all your pigment production scheduled for your lifetime too early. And I learned that GPS can sync your clocks to a billionth of a second. But in order to do that, the inventors had to make sure GPS satellites are in a perfect circular orbit around the Earth. And they also had to account for a little thing called Einstein's theory of relativity, NBD. Thank goodness for people that are good at math. Yeah. that's a lot of numbers. So many numbers. I just want to know why Hugo can't make my microwave clock more accurate. It's like three minutes fast. All the time. I'll, I'll fix it. Still. Just got to sync it up to a GPS. Yeah, I got to get uh, got to get me one of those GPS satellites, hook it up to my microwave. I'm sure they have smart microwaves you can buy with GPS clocks. Ugh, I don't want to do that. I'm perfectly happy with the hand-me-down I got from a roommate 10 years ago. The clock is one of two things a microwave actually needs. What's the other thing? The plus 30 seconds button. Oh, yes. I never put in an actual time. Does it's- anyone ever use any <laughs> other... Amount of buttons? Really, it just needs the one button. Also a clear button. My boyfriend gets upset when there's like leftover time on the microwave. That's one of his pet peeves. I lived with two roommates when I moved to Chicago 
and I've known him since first grade, and one of them wouldn't hit clear at the end of the microwave, and my other roommate would be like, the only thing John does that I cannot stand <laughs> is when he doesn't clear the microwave. Yeah, it just drives some people off the wall. Yeah, well, John and I are the same. (laughs) (laughs) Today's first story was written by Grant Curran and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Today's episode was scripted, produced, and edited by Cody Goff. Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious.